And um, I'm really, I feel very privileged to be part of this series on identity, looking through the book of Ephesians. And um, I've been listening to the podcasts um, as I've walked the dog over the last few weeks. And uh, I was really laughing uh, at your talk, Dave. Not the whole thing. It, w- it wasn't a joke. <laughs> but um, there was one bit that I disagreed with. Ooh, so we start with that. It's okay. You don't need to panic. But Dave shared an illustration uh, from Putty Putman back in January. And um, for those that weren't there, just very briefly, he was talking about the being issue. When you drop your toothbrush into the toilet, yeah, it doesn't matter how much you sterilize, wash, or clean that toothbrush, it is not going into your mouth. Well, I beg to differ. (laughs) Because this is disgusting, this is vile, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have to wait. So the very same day that Dave brought this message and used this illustration, that evening I was listening to my husband Guy put our youngest son to bed. And... um, And as Seth is putting on his pyjamas, he says to Dad, I've done a really good thing today. And I said, quite surprised, oh, what was that? And uh, he said, well, I dropped my toothbrush into the toilet when I was doing a wee, but it's okay. I wiped it on my sleeve and I carried on. (laughs) Which is just disgusting. And actually, when I was talking this, uh, when I was going through my talk with Guy yesterday, I actually thought... um, Seth had had the common sense to rinse it under a tap, but the guy said no, just wiped it on his sleeve. So, um, yeah, disgusting. Anyway, today we are exploring what it means to be God's workmanship and what it looks like to experience and live in that truth. And the word of God and the promises of God are not just meant to be knowledge that we store in our heads and we pull out in conversation. It's meant to be an experienced reality that changes the way that we live. And as I was preparing this talk, um, I just felt that God had established two realities, two purposes for, for you as a church family today. The first is that Jesus would be glorified this morning, and I think already he has been glorified. The second, and it is inextricably linked to the first, is that as a family, we'll get to share in the joy of salvation this morning, which is really exciting. What I mean by that is that we will share in God's joy as his love, kindness, peace and forgiveness fill areas of our lives that may be bound by guilt and shame, disappointment, pain, anger, resentment and fear. So... Before we start, because there's often uh, time for ministry, and I've been told that there'll be an opportunity for ministry at the end, but I just want uh, the Lord to to have uh, his way and permission just to minister as I'm talking and as I'm sharing the word of God. So I wonder if you're feeling depleted of God's grace this morning, if you would consider the season that you're in as one that is a a battle, maybe you're feeling battle-weary, overwhelmed, overwhelmed, Discouraged? Would you just lift a hand up? Thank you. Thank you. I just want to pray the Holy Spirit would just start ministering us now. Father, I thank you for 
your presence. Lord, I thank you for this church, for three counties, for the history and for the future. I thank you for your children that are sat here today. And Father, I thank you that your grace is sufficient. And as we talk about your grace, the grace that changes everything, that hearts would be restored, that lives would be restored, and that we would celebrate in the joy of salvation this morning as a church. Amen. Um, So this morning, as we focus on the subject of identity, I want to pull three words out of our set text. If you've got a Bible or a phone, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, Uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. And I thought it would be helpful if I pulled out three words, they might sit in your head, and when you go home you might be able to remember a little bit of what I said. So those words are throne, the second is grace, and the third is workmanship. And the overwhelming truth of Ephesians chapter 2 in full is that God is deeply committed to drawing us near that we can experience the power of God's love, which is so powerful that it leads to significant shifts and changes in our lifestyle. And that what God has in store for us today, it flows from a heart of grace. It flows from a heart of great love. It flows from the throne room of heaven. And that's where I want to start. You know, what a great place to start at the throne room looking out. And I've pulled through... um, Ephesians 1 and 2, I've just pulled three sentences that just help us as we imagine being in the throne room. This is the biblical fact, this is the biblical truth of our place, our permission, our invitation into the throne room. According to the counsel of his will, God predestined us to receive an inheritance. Through Jesus and with Jesus, we are now seated in heavenly places. We are no longer strangers and aliens but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that awesome? What an incredible thought. That Jesus, he left the throne of grace according to, to the will of his Father. He left the throne of grace to come to earth. And as he walked this earth, as he grew up on this earth, he came to reveal the love of God. He came to reveal the power of the kingdom and he came to reveal the true, the true nature of Father God to us. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he raised the dead, he welcomed the outcasts, and he forgave sinners, heralding in such freedom and liberty to the earth. And these, um, these signs and wonders, they validated his words. And so the, the world just saw a great power breaking in, But he also knew the weight of temptation and he never gave in. He knew the crushing pain of grief and yet he continued to expose the kingdom of God. Jesus was sinless, yet he endured the most barbaric, horrendous death that was only fit for the worst criminals. And in accordance with God's plan for salvation, Jesus died for the sins of the world. But faithful to his promises, God rose Jesus from the pit of hell and now holding the keys to death and Hades, he is seated on the throne of grace. He's back. He's back on the throne. And more than that, we have been raised with Christ and we've been seated in heavenly places. It's just such an overwhelming thought. How did we ever deserve such a position? 
Well, Paul answers this in our um, set verse for today. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Sorry, I thought my mic had gone off. We're, We're still on. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we were created by God to dwell with him. He longs for relationship. He he longs that we would know him and his true nature. He created us to perceive his, his kingdom and experience his power. Our understanding and experience of such a phenomenal truth is subject to our faith in Jesus but his abundant, generous, and undeserved gift of grace. A while ago, um, another of my sons (laughs) um, just uh, came up to me and said, can I have just a private chat with you, Mum? So I found a little quiet room in the house, and he just said, Mum, I understand, I get that the baby, (laughs) here we go, the baby grows inside the mother's womb. I'm just having a little bit of trouble figuring out the how. And so I'll spare you the details of of the conversation. But um, I kept uh, facts, age-appropriate facts, and proper names. And at the very end, he turned to me full of sincerity, and he placed his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I am so sorry you had to go through that four times. Horrendous! He just, the reality uh, for my son is that his knowledge of sex, I'm relieved to say, is not based on experience. And I think sometimes that can be true of Christianity in our walk of faith, is that we know, we know that God is a gracious Father. We know that he has lavished grace upon us. And yet we can go through our life, our Christian walk, never really experiencing the power and the freedom that that brings. And I, I had the privilege of um, meeting with, with a lovely lady a few weeks ago, and she, um, she became a Christian when she was a very young girl, and she's now in her 70s. And she'd shared her story, which was just a heartbreaking, um, heartbreaking childhood of abuse and neglect and rejection. And I just sat there, and my heart was breaking as I heard her speak, but she was just so full of joy. And I said to her at the end, at what point in your in your life, were you aware of the grace of God? And she said, actually, it was only a couple of years ago, and it changed everything. And um, I know from my own story that that is the same, that this revelation of grace, even though I'd been brought up as a Christian um, from a young age, um, at the time where I looked least like Jesus, (laughs) the Holy Spirit came in. My eyes were open to my depth of sin, And at the same time, my eyes were open to the glorious righteousness and beauty of God. And in that moment, I knew that something totally supernatural that I could not have received from anybody else or anything else came, took um, the, the guilt and the shame and the sin and poured into me a righteousness that I still to this day don't fully understand. But it's amazing and it does change everything. Um, The same was true for Martin Luther. Pre-Reformation, he dedicated his monastic life to striving, striving to uphold a standard of righteousness that he believed would be pleasing to God. And um, 
and he, in spite of maintaining and honouring different monastic disciplines, he says this, that he would have martyred himself to death, what with the vigils, the prayers, the readings and other works. This might be familiar, this next bit. And yet my conscience would not give me certainty, but I always doubted and said to myself, you didn't do that right. You weren't contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more daily I found it more uncertain, weaker and more troubled. And then he was asked to, to become a lecturer and during uh, around 1511, as he was pondering and wrestling with his theology on righteousness, he had a, his moment of breakthrough revelation. And he realised um, this, that the love of God does not find but create that which is pleasing to it. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. And Paul, in many of his letters in the New Testament, he repeats this this sense, this truth, that we can't work enough for grace. We can't pay for it, and we can't cheat or trade our way out of sin. We are not saved by doing good works, but we are saved for the purpose of doing good works. Which brings me on to the third point. So we've had the throne, where we belong, where we should be perceiving the kingdom, and where we should be pulling down the resources of heaven in order to, to live a life on earth that reflects the glory and the beauty of God. Second, we had the gift of grace, and now we have workmanship. What does it mean to be God's workmanship? Paul uses the words, and I'm going to pronounce it terribly, poima, 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 say it quickly, it sounds okay. Um, This means the masterful creativity. We are masterpieces. And it's where we get the English word poem from. And when we consider poets such as Dickinson, Yeats and Eliot, that they were masters in their field, it's hard to accept that their workmanship and their writings were limited to the borders of their imagination and their experience. And the same is true of these, uh, these amazing masters, painters, Leonardo, da Vinci, and Rembrandt, that they're just, just exquisite paintings, and yet they're limited to their skill and technique. The same can be true of songwriters. But when God imagined you and I, what he saw conceptually became a reality that each person in this room has been uniquely crafted and formed, that you are uniquely chosen and loved, and out of all of creation, we are the pinnacle. And Paul writes that we were created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as God's loving kindness draws us near, as we dwell in the throne room, as we lay down our our own strong wills and we pursue a relationship and a desire to want to know Jesus more we are met with his grace and we are also filled with his transforming power that transforming power Paul talks a lot about this throughout Romans that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus but we can oppose it and we can challenge it and we can reject it such is God's heart of love that he gives us the freedom 
and the free will and the choice to do that. But um, the grace that saved us is the grace that sustains us. The grace that saves us is the grace that sustains us. The power that saved us in that moment of salvation is the same power that will sustain us on our journey through transformation. And transformation is a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. It can't be rushed. And we are formed in the furnace. For those that raise their hand, perhaps you're in a testing season at the moment. And we just need to come back to God each day because we need his grace. It says that his grace is sufficient for us, but we need to receive it. And we need to experience the power and the freedom that that brings. The good works with which we, as God's workmanship, were predestined to do are inseparable to that new character, that new restored person that we became when we received Jesus. And uh, Paul, very helpfully, he writes out a list of what it looks like to be his workmanship, to do what it looks like to do those good works. And Philippians 4, verse 8, it says that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I know, uh, Dave, you touched upon the the thoughts and the renewal of of your mind last week, and I was really pleased that you stopped when you did, (laughs) because I've got a little bit more to say on it. Um, I was on a a retreat just a couple of weeks ago, and... um, And that retreat was just dedicated to introducing and developing spiritual exercises that would cause us just to slow down, to quieten our minds, and just to make us aware of hurry and striving and pleasing, pleasing others. And I listened to um, Elaine's podcast, and there was just a part of her her series, her talk, that really uh, spoke to me. And it was when you were talking about coming back from the Middle East and transitioning back into the UK and just being paralysed by that overwhelming sense of hurry and striving. And uh, that phrase you used, it doesn't have to be this way, that resonated with me. That's so powerful that God would speak. It doesn't have to be this way. Well, one of the days on my retreat, uh, all of of those that that had been there, we participated in an 18-hour silence. And um, as those hours fell before me, I braced myself for what would be my most difficult challenge yet, which is to remain silent. And I'd been, I'd been quite strategic, and I thought, if I sleep for most of it, I can get through this. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then so I felt really blessed when God spoke to me as I returned to my room, and he said, I want you to lie down for an hour. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to sleep. It's going to be amazing. And I did. And do you know what I found? I found that um, there was so much noise in my head. It was so noisy, but worse than that, my thoughts were both fleeting and disconnected. It was chaos. Um, I became aware of just how quickly I act upon my thoughts day to day. Emails, a message that I hadn't replied to, a conversation that I didn't feel went the right way, an argument that I was hoping to have, rewriting an argument, correcting an argument. <laughs> I, was, um, I was away at the retreat and I was thinking I haven't left enough instructions for Guy we're parenting our kids all wrong but just like just fleeting awful thoughts that would usually occupy not just my thoughts but my time and as I just settled myself and tried to release these thoughts as quickly as they came I began to appreciate the gift of stillness 
and solitude and just became aware that Jesus had thoughts of his own that he wanted to share with me, you know, the good, the pure, the noble, etc. And when Paul instructs us to think about such things, he knows it's because our thoughts mould our actions and we need to train ourselves. We do need to discipline ourselves to, to think the way of Jesus, to learn from him. And I think really the best way that we can foster an appreciation for, for that lovely list of, of good works is to start with silence. I'm an expert. I've done it for 18 hours. <laughs> at the, as we met at the end to, to debrief on that experience, it was humbling and it was very faith-building to hear just what everyone had experienced in those 18 hours and how God had spoken and affirmed and encouraged. Silence is, is a great place to start. And then just as I, I end, and I think team are coming up to to lead some worship Um, I just felt that that God wanted just to encourage us this morning that the version of yourself that he is so deeply committed to loving isn't the you from years ago when you couldn't wait to come to church and small groups and when you were at Bible study um, and where you um, had quiet times every day. And it isn't the you that is in the future, the one where you will be free from habitual sin, the you that will be able to worship in freedom, the you that is without doubt. He's deeply committed to the you that is in this room right now. He's deeply committed to drawing you in spite of your circumstances, in spite of your heart, in spite of your doubt. And... uh, Just going back to that first picture, your identity, our identity, is found in Jesus at the throne of grace. We wouldn't be here without grace. And the grace that saved us is the grace that sustains us today. Um, Jack and the team are going to just lead us in some worship, but um, I think there's, there's like a leadership team and... Crawfords. No, Christie's. The Crawfords, the Christie's. <laughs> Sorry, it was in my head earlier. Um, uh, are going to be available to help pray. But um, if you would like prayer uh, to, to just uh, be, become more aware of God's grace, because he's already given it to you, you won't be receiving it, but you might be receiving a revelation of God's grace this morning, then you might want to come forward for prayer. If you have listened to, to this talk and these words and actually what you've been feeling in your heart is more compelling than what I've said and you want to know Jesus, then I would encourage you to, to make your way forward where the team would just pray, pray over you and just bless this new relationship with Jesus. And then I had um, just two words as I drove in from Farnham this morning. Uh, the first is that there is somebody that you just seem to be so overwhelmed and paralyzed by fear that you don't even know where to begin with grace that that when you're quiet your thoughts just become flooded with fear and um and there's good news for you today because we can take authority over that fear through the death and resurrection of jesus um so please come forward if you respond to that and then um very randomly um i saw uh, somebody making a date in their diary this week and it was um, with the bank and I think it was uh, almost like a business proposal 
Um, and there was just maybe a little bit of uncertainty about how you should present that. And I felt that God was going to just bring insight um, and strategy in, into that process. So if that's you, then come forward. But should we just worship? And then if you want prayer, come forward. <laughs>